Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about new culture for a new generation, and we'll do that with Michael Clegg. Now, Michael is the CEO of QWorks Group. And they focus on what he calls a year one retention challenges. And that helping helps new businesses get their new hires beyond their start date, at least to the first year. Now, he's he spent over three decades in the talent management space overall. And as a, the QWorks group, it's now 20 years deep this year. He's always been a passionate leader that understands culture's job is not a feel-good thing, but rather culture's job is to drive expected behavior. Michael, it's fantastic to have you here, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. Now, I know that you're in a hot space today, but tell us who overall do you serve, Michael? Yeah, well, first and foremost, as mentioned in our I guess my bio, I serve internal first. First and foremost, I serve our employees and their families when needed because it's important. And I think if you look at, you know, Virgin Atlantic and and their CEO and all of the popular things that he does, he talks about it. You can't serve externally if you don't provide the things you need to provide to the people internal. And I've always been a firm believer, was very fortunate and blessed early on in my career to have someone that that spoke that language. And so I learned pretty quickly. And I also think more importantly, having an athletic background in sports, I was blessed to have a lot of great coaching when I was younger. And that really rubs off on you. And when when you treat your teammates with respect, whether it be in, in the working environment, or as I mentioned, I coach high school football, you know, so we spend a lot of time talking about culture and those things as well across the team. So it is important that we serve internal first. And then? And then it's external. That's okay. right. So externally, you know, the organization QWork Group, as you mentioned, it's our 20th year, and which is a blessing. I purchased the organization five years ago from an individual, Joe Werner, who started the organization as a German-American placement company. And so we've got a unique niche in that. So I have numbers of recruiters that are bilingual, some from Germany, some from Austria, some from Poland. Uh, but they are able to connect with their clients and helping them understand what it's like because doing business in Europe is a little different than doing business in the U.S. So that that is where the company was originally founded. When I purchased the organization five years ago, it really it, we wanted to maintain that position because that is a unique niche. There are here even in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, which is where our headquarters are. I think there are two hundred and almost two hundred eighty German American companies. So most of them are in the manufacturing space. So that has allowed us, obviously, in the Carolinas to target a lot of those organizations, which does also move across, you know, international boundaries at time. One of the things that that I'm also passionate about is what I talk about, you know, client intimacy and being able to shake hands, being able to address and meet the team members of the clients that we're serving. So last five years, we've really been putting a focus in and around our own backyard and our geography. So while we still do 
support our German Americans. That's obviously something that's a stronghold for us. We also expand that to other manufacturing firms and organizations that are local, more specific to the geography than just the industry. So I hope that helps. It does indeed. So these clients of yours, we'll focus on the clients for a bit. So tell us about the problems that they have that you specifically solve. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's a shortage of articles from Forbes and Harvard Business Review and you know, the Society of Human Resource Management that talk about the great resignation or the great reshuffle. So I would say number one on every leader's mind is how do I retain my talent, which also connects with how do I attract my talent? And, you know, let's talk about the attraction piece first, because the retention, there's a lot there, but the, the attraction piece is very important for obvious reasons. If you can't attract great people, you're not going to want to retain those great people or those not so great people anyhow. So getting to the right individual is important. And most, as the data shows, most of the millennials and Generation Z, they want an organization that has purpose and has meaning. And, you know, so organizations and specifically leaders, when they're interviewing, have to be able to demonstrate that. And even when we're coaching our candidates to work with organizations, we're always talking to them about, hey, what are the culture questions that you're going to ask? Because, you know, I am a firm believer that it is a leadership's job to drive culture. Cultures drive the behaviors. Behaviors is what ultimately gets to the desired results or outcomes. So, being able to attract the people that understand that is important. And that is in every single leader's hands, whether we want it or not, it's here. So that's that's one. The retention challenge is a much deeper challenge because there are years of command and control type of leadership, right? You know, I, when I'm talking with clients, I use personas to talk about the individual. So as an example, I use seagull managers. Well, what's a seagull manager? A seagull manager is a manager that flies in, craps on everybody, then flies away, right? You know, that that is that command and control environment where, you know, do as I say, don't necessarily do as I do. And that's a very, very poor form of leadership. And those days are over. Even the military is starting to change even how they run their boot camps because they understand that the new generations want things differently. And I'll say this, you know, I was a little skeptical, let's say a decade or so ago when first talk of the millennials coming into play was, but I really think they are upending the workforce for the positive because there's so many challenges today, you know, and I would say secondarily from the retention and attraction challenge, because I would certainly group them together is mental health. And I think the millennials and Generation Z are beginning to change the dynamics of what we look at as an organization and the things that we think about. So there's a lot, obviously, that I've mentioned right there. And I know we've got a little bit of time to, to uncouple some of that, but it's a tremendous opportunity that organizations and individual leaders have to make that mark to improve their retention. Because if we look at 2021, the data, I think it was almost 60% of new hires didn't make it to their anniversary date. So when you think about hiring 10 people, six of them leaving, that's 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 pretty scary for a business owner and a leader. And if it's not, you got the wrong leader. So we've got to be able to combat those challenges as leaders. So you've you've raised a lot of intriguing points. I think maybe if if you could think of a specific case study then and kind of walk us through here's a company here's how they found us this is what their issue was 
This is how we went through our process. Now, uh, after a year, this is the result. And, and if, if it takes a couple of case studies to kind of make your points, great. What I'm particularly interested in is, is how you're working with the owners and the hiring managers yeah. to get them to understand the importance of culture over skill set, if you will. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so walk us through a, a case study or two, Michael. Yeah, I say, I use these words quite frequently. My team probably is sick and tired of, of hearing it, but I say stop hiring for skill and firing for behavior. I say that no less than three or four times a day, hmm. every day. And, and that, that doesn't mean we dismiss skill, right? Clearly, it doesn't mean that we dismiss skill, but it means that when, when, when we're helping people build their resumes, let's get, let's move past the task and let's look for value and outcomes, right? Well, there's no different when we're working with clients and their job descriptions. Organizations have to change how they're doing business. And I'll bring you a couple of ideas around case studies that, that will help you understand that. But we really do. I think Lou Adler said it first is like, let's get rid of job descriptions and let's really focus on people descriptions. And he nailed it. Right. So if we want to go back to that retention and attraction, if we want to attract the right people, we have to build out our people descriptions to look less like a job description. What are the outcomes? What are the expectations? What are all those things that organizations need to know or need to be able to disseminate so that they can attract the right person? Because there's nothing worse than going in. You read this job description, you're like, oh, this is great. You go in, you ask a few questions and the hiring manager's like, hmm, well, you know, you got to be here from nine to five. You have an hour for lunch. You have two weeks of PTO. We got a little bit of 401k match and that's pretty much it, right? Because in most large organizations, human resources building out these job descriptions based on job descriptions been sitting there for 20 years. I don't know about you. I don't care what anybody did 20 years ago because technology is nowhere near where it was in the early 2000s as where it is today. So, so that's first and foremost. When I think of, I'll even give you one of my, my first clients, and this business for us really happened by accident. We started as an executive placement firm, right? So as we started- oh, oh, you say we started, this is after you bought the fir firm or 20 years ago? Okay. Yeah, so QWorks has always been an executive okay. placement firm. That probably is important to understand. Okay. Uh, so, so we've always done that. The problem is, and this goes true with all- you know, talent acquisition companies is there's such an emphasis on focusing, getting them to the start date, right? Which is great. And then the recruiter says, thank you. Goodbye. I'm going to go ahead and go out the door. Good luck. Now, most of us have guarantees of some sort that that person is going to last, but we don't control what happens once we place them at an organization, right? That's onto the organization. So if an organization has lacking structure or lacking process or lacking expectations, this, these folks are going to get hardened on the organization pretty quickly because they're not going to know what good looks like. If I come to work every day and I don't understand what good looks like, for me, I can't think of a, I can't think of a, of, of a worse situation to be in. We spend more time with the people we work with and the people we love. It better be a great place to come every, every day, right? So, so that's first. So my first client really happened almost by accident. One COVID happened. I really started thinking about how can I give back? Look, when the world stops hiring, it was a scary place for me to be as a CEO and the owner of a talent acquisition firm. When the world stops hiring and there's no opportunities, you know, we, we really had to be nimble and think on our feet of how we were going to get through this. 
Because initially, I told my team on March 12, 2020, hey, grab some supplies, grab your computer monitors. We're probably going to be out of here for three or four weeks. Little did I know, you know, we were out of here a lot longer than that, needless to say. But we were ready for that because I have always honored a hybrid work environment. At the end of the day, it's all about outcomes. And if you base your business on outcomes, it doesn't matter what people are doing on a day-to-day basis or where they're doing it from, more importantly. So I started doing free webinars on how coaching people of how to transition from an, the, the analog days to the digital days okay. and, and really helping people with resumes. And so I had an individual that was actually in a Vistage group with me and that individual saw one of them and said, Hey, Clegg, I could really use your help. And by the way, everyone calls me by my last name, including my wife. Nope. One of those old sports things that never dies, right? Yes, indeed. So, so that's how it started. It started with a conversation. I'll never forget getting the call on a Saturday afternoon. And we were just having some conversations around retention. And, and, and this was unrelated. This individual's business is not recession resistant. It really wasn't impacted by, by COVID. So it was really about the people and how he was going to change his organization. So what happened is he ultimately ended up hiring me as a fractional COO. And with the idea of ultimately bringing somebody in to replace me, but to build process, you know, to, to really become a little bit more automated so that obviously the processes flow a lot smoother, a lot cleaner. And so what I found was week one, it was a culture issue. There were process challenges and there were technology challenges, but those are easy to change. Those are easy to make. It was the people and, and, and some of that really came from that seagull manager type of mentality where wouldn't be involved in the business for a week. Then he'd come in, disrupt what everything that was going on, throw everybody up in a tizzy, and then he'd, he'd leave and, and things would, would be in chaos for the next week, right? And that was a challenge because it, it, it took me about 18 months to work with this individual to let him know that he was part of the problem. It wasn't all of the problem because there were people in there that, what's the word I'm looking for? that had adapted and accepted the culture as it is, you know, and I, and I say this all the time, culture, you know, I get asked the question, you know, Clay, how do we measure culture? Culture is measured by what we tolerate. We tolerate tardiness. Guess what? It's going to be a culture of tardiness. We, if we tolerate disrespectful behavior, it's going to be a culture of disrespectful behavior. So it's not easy to change that overnight either. So in order to change the culture, you have to change the behaviors. And if you can't get the behaviors to be changed, you have to change the faces. You have to change the people because there's no other way to do that. And some people are so set in the way that they do things, even if they do things poorly, some people want to change and just don't know how to, right? So, so you know, this, this client, really, it, it came down to having to change a lot of faces, ultimately getting a leader in. And, and you know, the expectation was we, we put like a 12-month, leadership program together. And, and we were able to just get through some of those steps and accomplish some of those things. Now, things, things, I think for a year now, I've been outside of that. And ironically, a week ago, got a phone call again from the leader that we helped place there, you know, to take over for me and says, Hey, I need your help. And ultimately what was happening was continue changing of the guard. And, and when you have CEOs who will change, but not change wholeheartedly, will do and say the things that they know they need to change. It's basically what others want to hear, but they really fight against making that change. So it's actually trying to pull that individual out of the business 
and really expand the leadership. And I think that's where leaders have to understand. And last thing I'll say on this, because it, it really ties in with the culture and culture is only built and developed. You know, I say time is a leader's culture or is a leader's currency rather, right? So, so you think about that. What does that mean? Well, it means we have to have deliberate one-on-ones, right? I do something called a stay interview. We do it twice a year. We, the things that we as leaders learn by having stay interviews, it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. Like I found, you know, something very personal to someone here that I had no idea was even going on in this individual's life. And, and we're actually able to help and adapt and make some changes for her. So that isn't something that is debilitating for her. And, but we had no idea. And you know what, if I wouldn't have had the stay interview, because I, I didn't even find that out in the skip level meetings that I was having in the one-on-ones, I found out in the stay interview, because the stay interview is about them. You know, I tell my kids two ears, one mouth, right? As leaders, we need to listen twice as much as we talk. And, you know, it, it is, it is getting, getting CEOs and leaders that are not accustomed to that, to do that is very difficult. And it takes not days and months, but months and years to do that. And that's what I'm experiencing in that first case study that I mentioned with that, with that CEO, it's a great human being but he can't get out of his way. And, and so there are simple things like that, that, that we do implement in the program to help retain the people that are, and the retention has been significantly greater at that organization because they have the right leader in place. The leader needs a little bit more help, which. Uh, I think you've touched on this, Clegg, because of the, of the case that you just gave us, but you've got a lot of competition in the talent acquisition and search and acquisition business. So how specifically are you guys different from your competition? Yeah. Well, first thing we do, we talk about the anniversary date, not the start date. Now that's important because you want to build the timeline backwards from when the client expects to have the individual in the seat that they're going to be in. But it's about the programs that we're going to help them put in place to get them to the anniversary dates. And some of the things that I was just mentioning in regards to deliberate one-on-ones, I mean, people do one-on-ones all the time, but I've got a new client that I just interviewed last week and, and uh, that they're going to engage me, but I had to find out how, oh no, we do one-on-ones. Absolutely. Well, let, let me observe one of your one-on-ones. It's water cooler talk, right? And, and which is important. You need some of that, right? You need some personal conversation, but if you look at John Maxwell's five levels of leadership, which level one is, is essentially they have to follow you because of your title. Level two is they like you because you're a good guy or a good gal. Level three is they're starting to see results in the organization. Level four is not only results in the organization, but results for them, their professional development. And then level five is almost unheard of. That's, those are the best leaders around and it takes years to get to a level five. But the important thing to understand is getting to level three and level four, which if we can get to level threes and level fours, it's amazing and, and great things can happen. But this individual comes in and says, you know, I'm having these one-on-ones. I don't need your help there. You can just not worry about that. And so I started showing him how we conduct one-on-ones. And simply enough, it's about 60% of it is about production, you know, performance, because that's important. 30% of it is about professional development, career ladders, next steps. What do you want to do, right? Because that's where that purpose and meaning comes into play. And then 10% of it is personal. You know, that's more of the water, cool, water cooler talk. And that's the stuff that, that when you combine all of those on a regular basis, it starts to make things change, right? And it starts to, it starts to build what we call this, which is a common buzzword today, trust. 
But if you don't have trust, we don't have psychological safety. If we don't have psychological safety, there is no way in an organization you're going to have the best outcomes possible. It's impossible because people are going to be afraid to take risks. They're going to be afraid of, of retaliation. You know, these are important things that, that if you don't have regular one-on-ones, once again, a leader's currency is our time, which we all as leaders have very little of, but the time we do have, we have to spend it with our folks. So, you know, that is the biggest thing I would say that, that differentiates us right out of the gate as we speak to the anniversary date and helping our organizations and our partners get to the anniversary date and not just onboard that person. We also have a 12-month onboarding program that we our clients develop. Most organizations, if you've got an HR department, they have a standard check, checklist of week one, week two. Maybe they even have a 30-day. But that's it. And it's, but it's about tactical things. There's nothing strategic about most people's onboarding plan. And so, so we add a little bit of flavor to most organizations onboarding plan. It's six months of a lot of handholding by us, which helps us ensure uh, that the individual at least gets to six months. The second six months is really now taking a step back and observing and helping the leader work with their new hire. Those are, that's beautiful. And that definitely is different. <clears throat> I love yeah. your comment about the start date versus the anniversary date. That's a beautiful, a beautiful, simple sentence, which really yeah. differentiates you. Yeah. So I think we got a good understanding of who it is that you serve. I love how you put your own staff, your own team first, and then the client's perfect juxtaposition of what most people do. We understand the problems that people have that you help them with and specifically how you go about doing it. And then finally, we understand how you're different from your competition, nailed in this focus on the anniversary date a bit. So what I'd like to do now is kind of convert you into Professor Clegg and tell us about kind of the milestones as you built your business and maybe maybe a little bit of pre your acquisition of the company, but specifically, what were some of the major wins Something with maybe sprinkling a, a failure or two and what you yeah. learned. So tell us your story. Yeah. So prior to me being at QWorks Group, I think I think overwhelmingly the majority of the business was focused just on the executive placement part and predominantly in the German American space. And and it is unique. You know, as I mentioned, the founder of our company, Joe, who's awesome great individual. He and I are still connected because I, I, look, he's, he did some great things by founding and developing this organization. And you know, the data on, on any business getting to getting through year, year one, very few, I think it's something crazy, like less than 80% get to year five. So it's single digits to get to year 20. And, and so Joe did a fantastic job by putting the right people in place. First and foremost, we've got significant tenure in our organization. So that was, I would say the first step, you know, of the organization was understanding and understanding the balance of what tenure really truly means and how to treat the individuals that have been here. Because, you know, uh, most of us in this industry, and I see it on LinkedIn all the time, especially now, if you want a 20% raise, leave your company and go to a new organization. Right. And, and, you know, that's, that's a battle that we all deal with. Right. So we have to think of ways more than compensation. I heard someone say, you know, culture is king and compensation is queen. I firmly believe that because I found it, you know, during, during COVID, we did, we didn't cut anybody. Our goal was not to lose one 
producer during that time. We didn't know how long that was going to be. We didn't know how long we were going to be able to say that, right? But we were, and we did, we had to cut some salaries and do some things, which obviously since then we're back up, but now we have to deal with gas prices being almost five bucks a gallon. So what are the things that organizations are doing to help and facilitate that? So, you know, to give, to give my professor side of things, you know, if I were to say, some additional milestones was COVID smacked us in the mouth without a doubt. You know, I think the, I think the biggest change was really going, what, what are the service ads, right? You know, we had these ideas that, you know, I'm the visionary and I have someone in my organization, you know, if I'm using the, the traction framework, if you will, who's, who's the integrator to help those things. I was a little slow in, in beta testing some of the things that COVID ultimately said, Let's go. So milestones is really, really a couple. And I would say March 12th, 2020, when, when we told the team, you know, grab your stuff, go home. We're going to be home for three or four weeks was one, because I did go to my, my partner and I said, you know what? I said, this is either going to kill us or it's going to be something we're going to look back to be a great pivot point. And I believe it's been a fantastic pivot point for us because we were able to create two new lines of business out of that. One of the lines of business is the contract staffing, you know, the interim, you know, the flexible workforce, which I do believe is, is a little bit more recession resistant, you know, when people still have projects to complete, yet they don't want to invest in headcount, they'll go the interim route, which is fantastic. So we've been growing that line of business, you know, since, since 2020, and that's really been helping capitalize. And honestly, that helped us, you know, really get through the COVID transition because Companies still needed people, right? But they, they were afraid to invest in the individuals full time. So, so that was one. The second line of business addition is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, which is what we call our advisory. And that's where we really spend a lot of time with, with leaders like yourself and, and organizations and talking to them about what tomorrow can look like, talking about all of the things that we mentioned in the first half about getting to the anniversary date, not just the start date, not only helping that, but helping them build out their culture. You know, what does that really look like? Like, how do you really, how do you really understand the culture and the behaviors to get the results? Well, if you don't have expectations it's going to be impossible to build the culture that you want. It just is. So and throw in another milestone here. The millennials turned 40 last year. Now that makes me feel old, right? You know, Gen Z, they're, they're 25, 26. They're, they're coming into the workforce. They are demanding changes. They are. You know, there's the four-day work week discussion, right? There's, there's flexible hybrid workforce. And hybrid work, workforce doesn't just mean work from home, right? It means flexibility. Maybe it means, hey, you know what? I want to do yoga at eight in the morning in my class and I'll be in at 9.30 after I shower to gym and come in, but I'll stay till five or six, right? You know, those are things that we have to address individually. And if we're not spending time individually with our workforce, we're not going to know those things and we're not going to adapt and you adapt or die. And it's even more so today than ever before. Failures. I would say the biggest failure for me as, as a leader in an organization, you know, I talked about it earlier that I've got these personas. Well, I've got something called the Ross. And if you think back to the 90s sitcom Friends, you know, Ross was the nice guy. Ross was, everybody liked Ross. Everybody had fun with Ross. But in the, in the terms of business, the Ross also is somebody who wants to be liked more than respected. And that's a big no-no for leaders. If you do the things that you need to do through the levels of leadership that John Wax, excuse me, John Maxwell has supplied for us, 
they're going to respect you and probably ultimately end up liking you. But at the end of the day, we don't have to like each other to each achieve our goals, right? That's an added benefit. And usually those things happen. So my first couple of years here at QWorks Group, I was the Ross. You know, I was so concerned about losing that great tenure. I didn't want to come in as the new guy, even though I'd built a career of going in, starting up organizations, relocating to take on underperforming markets, building them and moving on to the next and recycling, turning it over. over. For me to come into a small business, I was like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. But what I found was it wasn't. And, and I really did spend most of my time trying to be liked because in the placement business, Usually, if you lose someone, the revenue follows them out the door, or at least a good deal of it for a period of time. And that was not something that I wanted to risk. So instead of making those line of business changes that I just mentioned right out of the gate, ripping the Band-Aid off, but working with the individual people to let them know the vision, I just sat back and was more worried about being liked and not really making the changes and the adjustments. And for that, we had a, we had a tough couple of years, and then COVID happened. So, you know, it was a tough lesson for me to learn. I already knew that that wasn't a good thing, but yet I did it again anyways. So, you know, I would say those right now over the last few years are, are the most critical milestones. And, and I have since then learned to, to not go back to being the Ross, because if people respect you and you help meet them where they need to be met, they're going to run through a wall for you and be very loyal. But that also comes with psychological safety, which I feel very comfortable and confident saying that my team has. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that with us. So what's holding you back now? I can't scale me. We are in the process of trying to, since we've developed the 12-month onboarding program, the 12-month leadership program, these are things that, that we can now start to duplicate. And we're about 90% of the way done with all of it. To, we haven't started marketing it. We've marketed very quietly with current clients that we know and have spent a lot of time with. But it's, it's going to be hiring the right people to help support me in that third pillar of our business, which is the advisory, because I can't scale me. And, you know, being able to build those things out has been very critical to the next step of, of you know, that next plateau that we've got to jump off of or platform we have to jump off for growth. Uh, once we're able to do that, uh, and I'm allowed to do more of the things that, that I feel that I do very well, which is coaching and teaching. I think we're going to be in a much better place, but it is. I mean, the, the, what's holding me back is I can't scale me. And it's been a problem that I've been working on, but we are, we're interviewing. I think we're, we're fairly close to finding some people that can join our organization, but our culture here is very protective. And, you know, it's not, I, I always say I reserve the right as CEO to veto anyone, but it really is a team effort. And our interview process is not easy. We expect people to do, take a writing test, if you will. You want to see how you write and communicate. We want you to do a 10 minute presentation and because you're going to be client facing and your presentation can be on anything. And, and I learned that from another business partner that I, or a colleague that I have uh, and, and really enjoyed. And they've had tremendous success and growth because they're getting the right people on the ground. So interviewing is not an event. It should be part of our day-to-day -day process, right? So that's something that we do frequently, but getting the right people is important. So Clegg, how can our listeners contact you? Various potential employees, customers, et cetera. How, how can they get a hold of you? 
Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. Obviously, email at qworksgroup.com. All of my contact information, including my cell number, is on there. You know, it's probably the easiest. I do a biweekly leadership newsletter called Executive Corner that I thoroughly enjoy. And that's really been helping really pass along, I think, our brand and, and the things that we do because it is, I mean, it, it is it is a tough, tough, tough world that we're living in. And and unfortunately, I don't I don't see any signs of letting up. When you look at the millennials, they they are questioning whether they even want to go into leadership. So, you know, there was supposed to be a labor shortage by 2030 prior to COVID. COVID just accelerated all that. So as leaders, we've got our hands full, but those are the best ways to to connect with me. So how would some someone get their hands on the newsletter, Clay? It's it's published in LinkedIn. So uh, I think oh, it's my so, so yeah. link go to LinkedIn, all yeah. that sort of stuff is there. Beautiful. Yeah. I think it also so, uh, tell me, um, like what's the one question that I didn't ask you this afternoon that you were waiting for and what's the answer to that unasked question? Yeah, being that I can't scale me, I think I I would say, you know, why are you coaching high school football? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and being a CEO at the same time. And the answer for that really is, is well, one, it's given me the opportunity to be around my boys, my own kids who have played for me and come through high school. Now I have a rising sophomore in college and rising sophomore in high school. So I get to spend some time with them. But more than anything, I get to give back a little bit of the knowledge that I have uh, in regards to coaching. Because football, I firmly believe, is a strong metaphor for life. It's not easy. As I mentioned, we've got this unseasonably ridiculous heat wave in the Carolinas right now. And it's not easy for these kids when the rest of their friends are sleeping in or playing video games all, all hours of the night to get on the field at 730 for a couple hours every day and sweat when the rest of their folks, the rest of their uh, partners are in bed. So it takes a unique individual to commit to something like that. So to me, that's, that's why I do it. I, I love helping these guys, these young men, they're great kids. And, and sometimes we're the only outlet that they have from a home life. So I think it's important to give back to the young kids, especially what they've been through the last couple of years, which is total isolation. So absolutely. Yeah. So thanks, Clegg, very much, everybody else. In closing, let's focus on the single fact, and that is that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. So thanks for listening. Clegg, thanks for sharing your time with us this afternoon. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it.